you know that we've been considering the, well, actually, we're going through the whole book of Revelation, and the last several months we've been considering Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And you also know then at the end of each of those seven letters, you have an identical statement as you find here in Revelation 3.18. And so I have said nothing about it uh, as we've considered the previous six letters. And now I want to just spend our time this evening examining Revelation 3 and verse 18. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This has to be one of my favorite statements in the whole Bible. And I want to suggest there's fundamentally two parts to it. There's, or perhaps we can say, two lessons or doctrines contained in this statement. First, not everyone has ears to hear Christ, right? That's presupposed. He who has an ear, let him hear. Well, that means then that not everybody has an ear to hear. And then secondly, the Spirit speaks through Scripture. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So notice first, not everyone has ears to hear Christ. Now, obviously, brethren, our Savior here isn't speaking about physical ears. By the way, he says this exact phrase at least two more times in the Gospels. After he teaches, he will say, he who has an ear, let him hear. Here he closes each of the seven letters to his churches with the same statement. And obviously he's not talking about physical ears. He's talking about spiritual ears. Children, he's talking about the ears of our hearts. Now, you can be deaf physically and still have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I think most of you, or many of you, will remember Mrs. Thompson, for example. The Thompsons hopefully will be back, and uh, Mr. Thompson will be preaching for us here in a couple months, and Mrs. Thompson's deaf physically. But that lady has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches because her spiritual ears have been opened. Two things about this first fact. By nature, our ears are closed, and by grace, our ears are opened. By nature, they're closed. That is, by nature, man has plugged his spiritual ears so that he cannot and does not savingly or believingly hear God's word. Now, I've worded it like that because that's the emphasis of Scripture. Man. Native man, man as he comes out of the womb, has plugged his own spiritual ears. And let me prove it to you from a couple of texts. Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they're born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like the death Cobra. Now watch how the psalmist describes man by nature. This is a description of the wicked. All men are wicked by nature. We're all born in this condition. They, all men by nature, are like the deaf cobra that stops its ear, which will not heed the voice of charmers 
charming ever so skillfully. Now the charmer is the master over the, the cobra, the snake. And the point being is, is that the snake, he's saying, man, like the snake, plugs up his ear, stops up his ear, and refuses to, to take heed to the voice of his master. And so you find that in this text, the emphasis lies upon man's wickedness, man's obstinacy, his rebellion. Just like a, a rebellious cobra, like a deaf cobra that stops his ear, which will not heed the voice of its charmer. That's how man is. We refuse to hear what God says to us in and through his word. Another example, Zechariah 7, he describes fallen man very similar to Psalm 58. But then we read in the last verse of that section, I think it's uh, verse 12, Zechariah 7, 12. And they made their hearts like flint. Now again, watch the emphasis in this text. They made their hearts like flint, like a stone, a hard stone, so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent by his spirit through the former prophet, prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Now here we find that the ears, and we could say the eyes of our heart, are connected to our heart. So when we harden our heart or make our heart like flint, that deafens the ear and blinds the eye. Now that already gives us some indication, doesn't it, here in a moment when we look at the fact that by grace he opens the eyes, he unstops the ear. How? By softening the heart or changing the heart. The evidence of a hard heart are, there's two evidences of a hard heart, blind eyes and deaf ears. Blind eyes and deaf ears. Now to be fair, there are other texts, aren't there, that speak about God blinding eyes and God deafening ears or stopping ears. Um, I don't have to give you the text, you know, uh, I think especially of Isaiah 6, as it's quoted three times in the New Testament, having eyes they don't see, ears they don't hear. That's quoted in the New Testament in different ways. Sometimes it's applied to God, blinding the eyes and deafening the ears. Sometimes to man, blinding his own eyes and deafening his own ears. Well, which is it? Does man deafen his ear? Does he stop up the ear? Does he plug up his ear? Or does God? Well, at this point, we have to make distinctions, don't we? As we typically do, theologically. We have to make the distinction between what we might call willful and judicial deaf deafness. Willful and judicial deafness. Because man, by nature, willfully stops up the ear, plugs up his ear, God in judgment gives him over, and thus, the scripture says, that God deafens the ear or stops up the ear. We could switch all the imagery from, from eyes and ears to the heart. The Bible says that man hardens his heart. The Bible says that God hardens man's heart. Remember Pharaoh himself. If you go back to Exodus, 
Sometimes Exodus speaks about Pharaoh hardening his heart. And then sometimes it speaks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Which is it? Well, again, because Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not heed the voice of God, God gave him over as a judicial judgment and left him to himself. So God didn't have to harden his heart. He just left Pharaoh to harden his heart. And in that sense, the Bible says God hardened his heart. God doesn't have to put anything in our ears to keep us from hearing. A few weeks or maybe it was a month ago, three or four weeks ago, some of you know that I, I, ha I couldn't hear nothing out of this ear, my left ear, for a whole week. And uh, I thought it was infected or something. I didn't know what it was. So I went to the doctor, and there was some wax that got stuck in there. And the only thing they had to do to fix it was to rinse out the ear. And that's like man. Man is to be blamed for his own deafness. And because he will not hear the voice of God, God merely gives him he doesn't have to put wax in his spiritual ear. It's already there. And he doesn't, and he refuses to hear. And so God, after a time, gives up on that person and says, you don't want to hear it? Then you won't hear it. And that's what Paul says, doesn't he, in Romans 1, where he speaks about God giving them over. God giving them over. That's judicial judgment, judicial hardening, judicial blinding, judicial deafening. And so the blame lies with man. Man by nature deafens his ear. He plugs his spiritual ears. And then secondly, by grace they are opened. That is, by grace God powerfully opens the spiritual ears of deaf sinners. He opens the eyes, the blind eyes of sinners. He unstops their ears or he changes their hearts. And when God changes the heart, then the eyes see and the ears hear. This was foretold in the Old Testament, Isaiah 35, 5, speaking about the days when Jesus would be on the earth. Then the eyes of the blind shall be op opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstuck. And that happened physically, didn't it? Jesus physically gave sight to blind people and, and hearing to deaf people, but he also gave spiritual sight and spiritual ears to dead sinners. Look at John chapter 10, for example, verse 14. Find perhaps a classic text on this point. John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. And you know that that's a reference to the Gentiles. Them also I must bring. He must bring them. And when he says bring them, he means bring them out of this world to him. Save them. Call them, bring them out of darkness into light. Out of death into life. 
And notice in part how this would take place. And they will hear my voice. He's going to give them ears to hear. We speak of this as effectual calling. It's when Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, powerfully brings life to a dead sinner. He gives eyes to a blind sinner or ears to a deaf sinner. They will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. That is, he's going to bring Gentiles with the Jews, make them into one flock, and he will be one shepherd over them. So man by nature uh, is deaf, and by grace he hears. That's pretty much what I want to say about this first point. But I want to spend the rest of our time on the second. The Spirit speaks through Scripture. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, it's important to understand that when our Savior says what the Spirit says to the churches, he's talking specifically about these seven churches. Remember, there are seven churches in Asia Minor, and he wrote a letter to each one of them. And uh, the angels, which we said is likely the elders or the leaders of the churches, were to read these letters publicly. And by the way, they were not only to read their own, but they were to be circulated, and, and all the churches were to have all the letters read in their midst. And so the Spirit was speaking in and through these seven letters. Okay? And thus, by inference, we can say, the Holy Spirit speaks through all of the Scripture. These were scripture. These seven letters that we have here in Revelation 2 and 3, chapter 2 and chapter 3, are scripture. They're no more or less scripture. For example, chapter 1, chapter 4, and the rest of Revelation is scripture. And all the letters of the New Testament were to be read within the churches. The Spirit spoke through all the letters of the New Testament, not just these short seven ones. But the point I'm making here is it's evident, isn't it, that the Holy Spirit speaks through Scripture. Furthermore, it's also important to realize the Spirit speaks through Scripture to the churches. These seven letters were to be read in each of those seven churches. And I think a lot of Christians fail to understand this. We have, in our day, there's hyper individualism and we have this faulty notion that the Bible is written just for me well in one sense because churches are made up of individuals that's true but listen to what Jesus says he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches my friend, these letters were written to the churches. You know what I, I say to people who say, well, you can be a Christian and not go to church. Well, if you can be a Christian and not go to church, the problem with that, you would have never heard the New Testament scriptures read in your hearing. 
you couldn't go down to Lifeway or, or Google on, on the internet and find the Bible. You heard the scripture in the churches. Because the letters were written to the churches. And yes, because churches are made up of individuals, we have to, and I'll make a point to that, receive those letters personally. But they were written not to individuals. Some of the New Testament letters were written to individuals, but those were individuals in charge of churches. Like Paul wrote to Titus and to Timothy. But the rest of the letters were written to local assemblies, to churches. And the members of those churches would hear that word as it was read on the Lord's Day in their hearing. Now what I want to do is to spend the rest of our time kind of expanding upon this thought that the Spirit speaks through Scripture. And I want to suggest he does so in three ways. First, he, the Holy Spirit, exclusively speaks through Scripture. By this I mean the Spirit only speaks, and I just make it as plainly as I can, only speaks through the written revelation of God. Now this is simply in part underscores what Pastor Dan was telling us last Sunday. There's no longer any further scripture being written. And that's obvious, isn't it? The very book of Revelation ends most obviously as the last book of the New Testament revelation. And then at the end of it, we're, we're warned not to add. Brethren, just stop and think. The, the, the Bible starts with Genesis and it ends with Revelation. It's a complete, sufficient revelation. So there's no longer apostles and prophets giving us revelation. God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't speak any longer in an infallible way through any man living except those men reading the book. You've heard it said before, you want to hear God speak to you audibly? Then read your Bible out loud. And you will hear God speak to you. Secondly, and this is kind of a, a clarification of the first, he, the Holy Spirit, continually speaks through Scripture. Though the Spirit only speaks through Scripture, dear brethren, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He does speak through Scripture. Jesus understood that these seven churches, with all of their members, were to hear what the Spirit was saying to the churches as the seven letters were read. So as the angel of the church, as the minister of the church, read the letter, the Holy Spirit was taking that letter, that word, which was written, and he was applying it to the hearts of the congregation. Now, the reason why I make this point is, is because there are some Christians who want to maintain wrongly 
that there are apostles and prophets in the New Testament assembly. And God still gives new revelation through them. And they would characterize us as those of a lower tier, kind of sub-Christians, who worship a dead book. Well, brother, let me just make it very plain. The Bible isn't a dead book. How does the apostle put it in Hebrews 4.12 that the scripture is living and powerful? Brother, just because we don't believe that we're getting additional revelation doesn't deny that we believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through this written revelation from Christ. Furthermore, if you notice our text, back in Revelation 3, 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says, the verb there says is present tense active. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The Spirit was presently, through the word, speaking to the churches. Now let me back up for a second and show you this from another text just a few chapters earlier in Revelation 1. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now we have the same type of verbs, reads and hear, their present tense, which underscores continuous activity. Blessed is the one who is reading and those who are hearing the words of this prophecy. You have to do it more than once. You have to rehear it and reread it. Whereas the word translated written is in the perfect tense, which describes a completed action, a completed action with present ongoing effects. So there was something written that has ongoing relevance as we continuously hear it and as we continuously read it. In other words, brethren, we have to make the distinction between illumination and inspiration, right? Those are theological terms. Inspiration, of course, is what the Holy Spirit did to the apostles and prophets so as to enable them to write down the word of God. So John was inspired when he wrote the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit enabled John to write down, even though he didn't override his personality and his experiences, but nevertheless, he ensured, the Holy Spirit ensured that John wrote down everything the Holy Spirit wanted down to the very last letter. That's inspiration. And then illumination is when the Holy Spirit speaks in and through that word. When he enables us to understand it. 
when he enables us to feel the reality of it in our hearts, when he enables us to see the glories of it with the eyes of our heart and hear the thunder of it and the sweet promises of it with the ears of our hearts. And he changes us, not just to make us Christians, but ongoingly. He changes us through the word, the Holy Spirit. He speaks through the word. Now, here can be a difficulty to sort through. While we never ought to think the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us outside of the word, nor should we ever expect him to give us additional word, but we should never be content with merely hearing and reading the word without the Spirit applying it to our hearts. Let me put it like this. It's not enough to just hear and read the word. You have to hear and read the word so as to hear what the Spirit says through it to the churches. We've all done that before, haven't we? I mean, non-Christians read the word and non-Christians hear the word, and, and they should because, because the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and unstops their ears and changes their heart through the word. Yes, unbeliever, read, your word, read the Bible. Yes, unbeliever, go to church, hear the word. But unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, you're never going to see it. Unless he opens your ears, you're never going to hear it. And guess what? It's similar with regards to Christians. We can come and we can hear it read and we can read it. And unless the Holy Spirit blesses it to our hearts, it's not going to benefit us. And that's, do you remember that prayer of David that I, I often will preface the sermons with? And I often preface my own Bible reading with. Open up mine eye that I might see wondrous things within your law. There's already wondrous things in there. I'm not asking him to put wondrous things in his law. I'm not asking him to give me additional wondrous things in his law. I'm asking him to enable me to see and to know that which is already in his law. And brethren, you know that. And so we have to have a holy, a holy discontentment and not be satisfied with merely going through the motions. But we need to pray, oh God, for Jesus' sake, as I read this, your word, as I hear your word, open up mine ears. Open up my eyes that I might hear and see wondrous things. Or in the words of our text. That I might hear what the spirit is saying. To the churches. But there's a third thing here. And that is he vicariously. Speaks through scripture. You guys know that word. Vicariously. Sometimes we speak of the atonement as vicarious. It really means in the place of. Jesus' death was 
a vicarious atonement. It was in the place of sinners. Or sometimes you might hear about the Pope erroneously and even wickedly identified as the vicar of Christ. Vicar means in the place of. Well, the true vicar of Christ is the Holy Spirit. And so when I say that the Holy Spirit vicariously speaks through Scripture, I mean that the Holy Spirit speaks in the place of Christ, or we can put it this way, Christ speaks to us. Christ speaks to us in his word by his spirit. So, I mean, just stop and think about it, brethren. Who, who wrote the seven letters? He, Jesus is the author of the letters by his spirit through John. And so when these letters are read in the seven churches, they're hearing the word of who? Jesus. And yet Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. In other words, the spirit is speaking for me or in my place. Listen to John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you. Okay, Jesus is going to say more things to these apostles. And he's going to say more things to the apostles when he gives them the Holy Spirit. Because he goes on to say, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. I will speak, I will come to you, I will speak to you in and through the Holy Spirit. And of course he did that by enabling, enabling them to write the New Testament. He gave them revelation. He inspired them by his spirit. And what's true with regards to inspiration is also true with regards to illumination. The Holy Spirit is the one who's speaking to us in the place or stead of Christ. Now, let me close by pointing out what I think is obvious. If you look back there at Revelation 3.22, it's easy to lose the forest for the trees. Jesus is telling us to do something, isn't he? See, we have the theology, right? And now we have to have the application. Jesus is telling us to hear. He's telling us to hear. That means you have and I have responsibility to hear. I, I've taught this many times, brother. A lot is typically said about how to preach. And responsibility is placed on the preacher, and so it should. But just as much responsibility should be placed on the hearer, and that's the problem. Many Christians come to church thinking that listening is a passive activity. I just sit there and automatically somehow something's good going to come and I'm going to leave better for it. No, that's not true. You have to come, in the words of Jesus, to hear you have to come to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And how do you do that? Well, let me suggest in closing a couple ways. One, we must hear humbly. That means we have to come humble knowing that we are hearing the very word of Christ. But on this one, Isaiah 66, 2, will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. 
Brother, we're coming to hear not the word of men, but of God. And when we bow our heads, because we live in a dispensation, in an age, where we're given the word, copies of the word of God, which is so unusual in terms of other ages, we ought to read it at home, and we ought to discuss it at home, and when we do so, we ought to be reminded that I'm coming to that word that's from my heavenly Father. And thus, I don't come to judge the word. I come to be judged by the word. I come as one who is a creation to his creator. I come as a son to his father. I come as a bride to her groom. We must hear, secondly, attentively. And by this, I mean we have to labor to understand and apply the word. Brother, we, we preached not long ago on Wednesday nights through Proverbs 1 to 9. And, I mean, just go back and reread those nine chapters over and again. Wisdom is telling his son, his children, to pay attention and to take heed to his words and to understand them and to apply them. That means you just simply can't sit and think you're going to be benefited by the word simply because you're present. But you have to come humbly, which means prayerfully. You have to come and pray, oh God, help me to be attentive. Bless your word to my heart and soul, and help me to understand it. Brethren, you're never going to apply that which you don't understand. Now, let me just be a little straightforward. For example, do you know what the law and the gospel are and how they relate one to another, having taught you that for an hour last week? You have to think about it. It takes work. And, and this is work after the fact. See, the problem is we think, oh, we're going to come and hear and leave, and then we just totally forget all about it. You have to grapple with it. You have to wrestle with it. Brethren, to be honest, I do that with my own sermons. Not to just critique the sermon, but to benefit from it. Because I, I benefit from it while I'm preparing it. I benefit from it while I'm preaching. But I have to reflect upon it after the fact. Of, I'm going to be, this is going to sound a little bit prideful. But I usually get blessed hearing it. I just have to plug my ears to the poor grammar and the mess ups. And I have to say, Father, this is your word. This is the word of Christ. And I, I need to hear it, and I need to understand it, and I need to make application of it to my own heart. And it doesn't matter who preaches it, right? If you think in those terms, the preacher becomes less central because it's Christ in and through the preacher who's speaking to us by his spirit. Finally, we must hear believingly. We have to mingle the word that's heard with faith. Now, just uh, for, exa for example, go back in your mind for a second to the seven churches or to the seven letters. That's specifically what Jesus is telling the churches to hear, right? Now, what, what are those letters made up of? Remember how the letters go? They're almost all identical. 
They start off with a description of Jesus. You have to hear that. They typically start out with some commendation or encouragement. You have to hear that. Some correction or confrontation or rebuke. You have to hear that. They almost always end with a motivation. You have to hear that. And then they all end with the text that we're looking at tonight with the exhortation to take heed and to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In other words, you have to hear the warnings. You have to hear the threatenings. You have to hear the motivations. And dear brethren, you have to hear the sweet promises. You have to hear the doctrinal stuff because there's a lot of doctrine in those seven letters. You have to hear the practical stuff because there's a lot of practical stuff in those seven letters. Brethren, those seven letters are perfect. Because the one who wrote them is perfect. And I'm not talking about John. And so we look back, as we look back over them, we find out what it is that we're intended to hear so as to believe. And let me close by saying, where does faith come from, brethren? Faith comes where? It comes from God and he gives it through hearing the word. That, that's a mysterious thing, isn't it? We come to church and we pray, oh, Father, give me faith to hear your word so as to believe and obey it. And then for the sake of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in and through that read and preached word, he strengthens our faith. He enables us to believe it. He enables us to hear it humbly, attentively, and believingly, and not perfectly, but generally to leave out being not mere hearers, but sincere doers, at least in some sense. And so we can pray, can't we, tonight? He who has an ear, we can say, oh God, let us who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying to us in this sermon, this Wednesday night, April the 10th, 2019. Well, let's close our time of devotion by singing. And we want to sing hymn 258.